Hi, this is Steve. In my opinion, there are three auteur directors who began making films in the 90s, each with a vision, style, and sense of story uniquely their own. We've already talked about two of them, Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. This Friday on The Cinephiles, we take our first journey into the intricate, painterly, and endlessly fascinating world of Wes Anderson, and the film which first brought him to national attention, 1998's Rushmore. Starring Jason Schwartzman in his first film, and Bill Murray in the role that redefined his career, Rushmore is the story of a precocious teenager, a wealthy industrialist, a beautiful teacher, and a world that can only come from the imagination of Wes Anderson. With beautiful images, brilliant dialogue, a great soundtrack, and a story that is endlessly surprising, Rushmore is unlike anything that came before it, and we had a great time talking about it on The Cinephiles. What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret? I don't know. I, I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of numerous shows and podcasts, and occasionally an actor in Los Angeles. And you might even see me walking around Universal Studios in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Maybe. I, I've seen him and... <laughs> And my son has seen him. Yes. And it was magical. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're very kind. It was um, awesome to do that. Yeah. Um, and today, we are getting to introduce yet another new director. Yeah. What I will say, one of the great auteurs of the last 20 years. That's, and that's a perfect word, yeah. auteur. This guy, for real. Yeah. I mean, this guy, that every you look at a movie of his, and immediately you know that you're watching a film by Wes Anderson. Yeah. There's no question about it. Visually, from one frame, Wes Anderson. Yep. That's who this is. And we're doing, to me, to me, this is not his first film, but this is the one that really hit for me, yeah. which is Rushmore. Yeah, absolutely. And not even just the film itself, uh, also the, the music and the score. Like, oh, yeah. It's all combined within itself. Absolutely. You know, right? you, you could even not see anything visually. You could look at a blank black frame and hear the music and go, Wes Anderson film. Yeah. There's not even a question. Yeah, well, the yeah. music that the guy who does the, his scores has done, I think all his scores is yeah. Mark Mothersbaugh mm -hmm. from Devo. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I just heard, because it just came out maybe a month ago, great yeah. Mark Marin WTF with Mark Mothersbaugh. Really, really interesting. Mark Mothersbaugh. 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 Yeah. Thank you. But the, the interview is great. Really, great. he's a really interesting person with a really interesting history. I think those are some of my favorite episodes of his when he has musicians on. Yeah. His Elvis Costello one is still one of my favorites. It's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, so how'd you come to Rushmore? Oh, I came to it like back when I was going to see all these independent films, right? It was part of the independent film movement in the 90s. Uh, and this is what, like 98? or 98. 98, yeah. So I, I either saw it in Tallahassee, depending on when it came out at Florida State, or I saw it over the summer by myself at home. Mm -hmm. And I immediately knew that I was looking at something completely different because I hadn't seen Bottle Rocket. That yeah, had escaped me. Yeah, that had escaped me. But there was something about the quaintness of the trailer that really hooked me into this movie. And I was so into going to see independent films at the time that I went to see Rushmore and I absolutely loved it. It was so different. It spoke to me in such a different way then 
than rewatching it now for the podcast. Sure. This is what's interesting. I gravitated and felt more for Max then. Well, yeah. But now I feel more for Bill Murray, <laughs> yeah. oh, which yeah. is so weird. It's yeah. so weird to watch it this time. But anyway, we'll get into that. But like, yeah, that's how I came to it. And, and I've watched it multiple, multiple times ever since. Then yeah. I own it on Criterion. Yeah, for me, is the same thing sort of is that I, I, remember, I remember the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. And obviously a huge Bill Murray fan and really excited to see him in this. Yeah. And then I saw the theater and I went, oh, that was good. Yeah. And. I didn't really think about it that much. It wasn't It wasn't a movie that blew me away when I first saw it. And this is one of those movies where right at this time was when I was doing that DVD job. Oh, yeah. And this DVD came in, and I watched it over and over and over again. And unlike some other films, uh, like The Rock and Armageddon, <laughs> this movie, every time I watched it, got better and better and better. Until after seeing it 10 or 15 times, I was like... Oh my God, this is an amazing film. Mm-hmm. And then I actually haven't watched it a lot since then because you get a little burnt out of that. I've probably yeah. seen it once or twice since then and watched it again a few nights ago and watched the commentary track. And, you know, it's, I, I tried to really dig deep into it this time. And yeah. it's a fascinating film. It really is. Yeah. And, and like any piece, to me, it's like a painting. Oh, you yeah. can sit and stare at it for hours. Like you can watch it over and over again for hours and you will start to see what makes it work and you'll pick up stuff that you missed the first 300 times you saw it or the first 20 times you saw it and it'll give you an even deeper appreciation and love for the film. Well, it's funny you say it's like a painting and, and, and there's the great YouTube series, Every Frame of Painting. Yes. Uh, which is about film and I highly recommend and I, I posted one recently about Jackie Chan because we've done the Jackie Chan episode. Right. Um, it's great, first of all. And mm-hmm. whenever I hear that phrase... Every frame of painting, the first thing I think of is Wes Anderson. Wow. Because this is that is what his he looks like paintings. Yeah. Absolutely. Every shot is so perfectly composed yeah. in a way that it's not that there aren't other great cinematographers and great filmmakers with great visuals. Yeah. You know, Kurosawa and Kubrick and John Ford and Orson Welles and on and on and on. Sure. But that painting look is nothing like Wes Anderson. Yeah, and it, it feels like he's perpetually stuck in the seventies. Oh yeah. Even though he never almost never puts a time stamp on the movies he's directing, it feels like he's almost perennially I think they're, con- they're consciously the timeless and, yeah. and Rushmore is too. It's one yeah. of the things watching this movie you're like, "Wait, when is this?" Yeah. And we don't get to really they're not going to tell us. No, no. Yeah, a little bit about Wes Anderson is he's from Texas. He went to a private school. Mm-hmm. It seems like he was a bit of the precocious <laughs> young man. He did, you know, he stage plays in elementary school. Yeah. He tried to stage a play of the entirety of Star Wars and then felt like that was maybe too much, but you kind of see the <laughs> you see the max in here. Right. And after he got out of his prep school, he goes to college in Texas and meets Owen Wilson. Mm. And this friendship is really key to this and and they started writing Rushmore fairly soon. They actually started writing before Bottle Rocket. Wow. And, uh, and, the, and when they did Bottle Rocket, Owen Wilson only acted in Bottle Rocket. He never wanted to be an actor. Huh. He only acted in it because they couldn't find anyone else to do it. Wow. Um, and you think about this guy who, you know, is a legitimate movie star. Yeah. Didn't really intend on being an actor. Wow. And Rushmore, it sounds like, is a real mix of Owen Wilson's experiences and Wes Anderson. Because mm. Owen Wilson also went to a, like a prep school like this. He got expelled and ended up having to go to the public high school. Um, Wes Anderson, on the other hand, is this precocious guy who did all these plays. And he, he did fall in love with a teacher or an older woman, I think. Mm. And so they kind of combine those two stories 
and, and when they went around, they're trying to figure out where they're going to shoot. So the bottle rocket is not a financial success, but it's somewhat of a critical success. Right. And they get some money to make Rushmore, and they're like you know a million bucks or something, which is not small change, but right. it's not a huge amount of money. And they're running around trying to figure out where are we going to shoot it? Where's the perfect prep school? They're thinking about shooting in England and the, the Northeast. And finally, after searching and searching, Wes Anderson goes, well, I'll just shoot it at my school. This is the perfect place. It's really what I was thinking of the whole time. <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't you just do that from the beginning? Um, and, of course, yeah. the big person that they wanted to get for this is Bill Murray, who right. they really wrote the part for. Really? Yeah. They oh, yeah. genuinely say they wrote the part for him. Yeah. And they were kind of scared of him because Bill Murray is a fascinating character mm-hmm. and not easy. No, no. Yeah. He does not have an agent. He does right. not. He does not have anything like that. What you do is you reach out to his manager, and his manager send him an email. Right. And he, if he reads your script, he'll either read it and like it, or read it and be a part of it, or not read it, or not be a part of it at all. But he will eventually read it. And you won't know when. <laughs> and it'll, you won't know. Yeah. It'll, yeah. Exactly. It could take forever. Exactly. And I think they they got scripts to him like three different ways. Yeah. Like they got through the manager, and then maybe they found his lawyer, and they got someone else to get him a script. Right. And then and and all these people really liked Bottle Rocket. And when he finally read the script, he just went okay and agreed to do it for scale, which was like nine thousand dollars or something. Wow. You know. And there's a point in the movie though where. Uh, Wes Anderson really wanted to do some big helicopter shot yeah. and uh, couldn't afford it. And the studio said, no, we're not giving you the money for this. And like $75,000 to do this thing. And Bill Murray wrote him a check. Wow. Yeah. And they never did the shot. <laughs> and what I couldn't find out about this story is, did Wes keep the money for the movie or did he give him back the check? But either way, the faith of Bill Murray mm-hmm. in this movie, it sounds like as scared as Wes was of him on day one, yeah. that they were just... Right away, uh, he's. N- I feel like he's never been utilized better. This outside of Ghostbusters and maybe Stripes yeah. than he is in the Wes Anderson movies. Oh yeah, uh, this is a second career renaissance. Like this is a renaissance for Bill Murray. This begins the renaissance. Him being in these movies and all of a sudden he starts showing up like Zombie Land, all these other movies. But it's because we reacquired a taste for him as the public, as a movie going public. And I think it starts with Rushmore and progresses into the other films as well. Yeah, this and Lost in Translation yeah, are the Lost two Translation. movies that really solidify the, 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 the new, the genesis, regenesis of, right. of Bill Murray. Yeah. And to me, it's like, you know, John Travolta and Pulp Fiction. Right. Or, you know, it's one of these things where a director and an actor find each other, mm-hmm. and then it's just magic from then on. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that this is one of his uh, more layered and incredibly uh, powerful performances, and not in the way that you think. Like it's not going to—it's not going to bowl you over. No. The great thing about watching the film this time around was to watch the little quiet moments he has in reaction to things. And my favorite was when he meets Max F- Fisher's dad for the first time Amazing in the barber shop. Amazing scene. What happens in his face? If you're an actor, watch that. That's acting, and it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, yeah. I feel like there's something. Bill Murray was so big in the yeah. characters that he played yeah. in Meatballs and Stripes and Caddyshack and, sure. and and obviously in Ghostbusters and all those Saturday Night Live characters. Right. He was he was always an over-the-top extroverted Scrooged. character. Scrooge. Yeah, yeah. These huge characters. And it almost feels like he gets to this place in the late 90s and it's like, well, I know I can do all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to strip away all that and I'm just going to be truthful in the moment. Yeah. And you see it in the barbershop scene and you see it in, throughout the film. Yes. Uh, it, it's really So let's get into the movie. Sure. Uh, we start with, as you said, uh, this great soundtrack from Mark Mothersbaugh. And, 
and, and right away, it's completely different from anything else. Mm-hmm. And we see this painting of Bill Murray and his sons, which is so horrible. And we go right into this classroom where there's this math teacher and this math problem. Yeah. I just put that up as a joke. That's probably the hardest geometry equation in the world. And I was looking it up because this actually came out the exact same year as Goodwill Hunting. Ah. And I was, because I was thinking about, oh, there's the, the impossible math problem. And I was like, oh, is this after Goodwill Hunting and making fun of it? No, it's just independent. They wow. right, came out right at the same time. There you go. Because I think this scene is playing with our expectations of here comes the, the genius to solve the impossible math problem. Right. And of course, it's not that at all. No, no, no. It's him. It's him daydreaming, right? Yes. Because this is Max's view of himself: is right. that he is this uh, incredible genius, and, incred- and that everyone should love him for it. When in fact, he's actually an irritating little shit. But yes, at the t- <laughs> but in his mind, he's like he thinks he's this unrecognized, un- un- what is unappreciated genius? Is what I well, would say. Well, this yeah. is what's what's so funny about him, and we're going to talk about this throughout the movie. Yeah. Is he's absolutely an irritating little shit. He is, and he's absolutely a genius. Yes. And and he actually does have people that fawn all over him, mm-hmm. and he irritates the hell out of. Him. I mean, he's like a this is a complicated guy we're going to meet. Some people just have that ability to naturally create followers. Yep. Some people just have it. Yep. yep. And 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 he is yeah definitely one of those people. Yeah. And we should talk about Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Because this is first movie. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I thought he'd done some shorts or something. No. Wow. Okay. As far as I know, this is his first film, at least okay. his first feature, and. Wes Anderson had spent close to a year trying to cast this part of Max and basically felt like if we don't find Max, we're not making this movie. Right. And they went to England, to Canada, all over the United States. They auditioned thousands of young men. Mm -hmm. No Max. And the original image in their head was for Owen and Wes was that this guy should look kind of like Wes, a skinny, Mm. pale, white, nerdy kind of guy. Right. And then... In walks Jason Schwartzman, who an agent had met Sofia Coppola mm-hmm. at the party at a party or something, because Sofia Coppola is his cousin, right? Because he is Talia Shire's uh, son, right? And he's a musician; he's not an actor, right? And Talia Shire is Francis Ford Coppola's sister, yes. Right. So this is in that it's in that very very prolific family, yeah. um, and. Uh, and they want him to come in an audition. He shows up wearing a blue blazer and a Rushmore patch crest, which he has sewed himself. <laughs> and he walked in the room, and Wes Anderson, I think Owen Wilson is there too, and they yeah. went, yep. Wow, just and it. that was it. Yep. And suddenly what's interesting is that their brain flipped from the skinny, frail, pale Wes anderson type yeah. to the Dustin Hoffman type from The Graduate. That's a great point. Yeah. And he really is sort of mm-hmm. kind of physically that sort of thing. Yeah. And he just got it. Yeah. His performance is amazing. Oh, it is fantastic. From scene to scene, just fantastic. Oh, yeah. And we're sitting in the chapel, and uh, which is not an th- experience I ever had going to school. <laughs> right. But I know people who went to like these kind of private schools sure. where this stuff happened. And they're speaking, is giving his alumni speech, is Bill Murray, Herman Bloom. Herman Bloom. And his speech is not what you would expect. Thank you. You guys have it real easy. I never had it like this where I grew up. But I send my kids here because the fact is, you go to one of the best schools in the country, Rushland. Now, for some of you, it doesn't matter. You were born rich and you're going to stay rich. But here's my advice to the rest of you. Take dead aim on the rich boy. Get them in the crosshairs and take them down. 
Just remember, they can buy anything, but they can't buy backbone. Don't let them forget that. <laughs> no, it's very much like, yeah, just, you know, don't, don't just think about being rich. Think about there's, there's other ways. There are better ways to be a person. There are better ways to live a life. That's all not this what kind he's saying. Jazz. He's cutting it all underneath. I don't think so. What do you think he's saying? He says, he says, poor kids take aim at the rich guys and take them out. But that's what he's saying, that being rich isn't what it's all about. Oh, no, he's is that saying, what you think he's that's saying? That's what I think he's saying is being rich isn't what it's wow. all about. I have a, got a totally different impression. Really? Yeah, because oh. my impression is that he's saying... If you want to succeed, they're the enemy. You must destroy so them. You think he's talking revolution? Yeah. No. I well, think he's okay. well because that's fair. He he was a poor kid on scholarship right. at Rushmore, right. who became a rich man. Right. I think he's saying this is how to take out the rich people. That's fair. But I think not revolution, but right. success is means you know destroy and become wealthy. Well, I think he's deconstructing the whole concept of class, a classism, class wow. like third, third, you know, lower class and upper class. He's trying to deconstruct that to to strip away because he was a poor kid that came up. He probably suffered a lot of abuse from the rich kids. Oh, I'm sure he did. And so, if you destroy the idea of class system and e make everybody equal, it's almost socialism. He's almost preaching socialism. Well, this is fascinating. It's <laughs> I mean, gonna, what's going to be really interesting is that I, it might change the whole way we see the whole film. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe because maybe the way you see it, but certainly in line with how I saw it. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, yeah. so but. I but you're right too. You know. Whatever what, whatever the meaning is, yeah. Max loves it. Yeah, he's like, this is what I've been waiting to hear forever because mm -hmm. he too is a poor kid yes. who's here on scholarship. And we go outside and we go meet, meet the great Brian Cox. Oh God, I love him. Who's death. who is so put upon in this movie <laughs> and so beaten down. He's so great. And uh, Bill Murray's talking to him, and up comes Max and yeah. and says how much he likes the thing. And we meet Dirk Calloway, Max's right hand man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then this, there's this moment here, which I think is, I think this is key to the whole movie, which is Bill Murray says, What's his name again? Max Fisher. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. And that dichotomy, yeah. that's the movie, right. I think. Yeah. Because he is a sharp kid. Yes. And he is one of the worst students they have. Because he feels he doesn't have to apply himself. Absolutely. He's above it all. Well, he does apply himself, but not to the stuff he's supposed to. Exactly. He applies himself to clubs and plays yeah. and all these things. Yeah. Do you think there's a hidden thing, like a, a, a learning disability? Do you think he's on the spectrum? Like, can you make an argument that he's on the spectrum? Um, in a, in a, obviously, in the film, it's, it's done for uh, jokes or laughs in a way that's not offensive. It's done to make you... Uh, in make him endearing, but you could argue, couldn't you? Because he's not focused on the tasks at hand. He fo he creates all these other things to do with his time. I I, I think there's definitely something different about Max. Yes, I, I don't know that um, saying he's on the spectrum is exactly the right. Okay, you know what I mean? Because that's a, that's kind of loaded with particularly now. Okay, but but like there are a lot of people who are in uh, a different time zone. Yeah, who operate in a different way and see things differently. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's funny you brought this up, and I was debating whether to tell this story. But now oh. that you bring it up, it it seems um, appropriate. Which is there's a book called The Element by Ken Robinson, and mm -hmm. I, he also did a TED talk that's really good. Oh, wait. and he tells this story. Which is this is, you know, 30, 40 years ago in England, and there's a, a girl's third, fourth grade, and she's really struggling in school. She doesn't pay attention. She's always looking out the window. She doesn't, she's not learning. She doesn't read well. She doesn't apply herself. She acts out constantly in class, and mm. the teachers, year after year, are getting more and more frustrated, and parents keep getting called in. Mom keeps getting called in over and over, and it gets to the point where the teachers go, this girl has to go. 
She's, you know, she's disrupting my class. She's got real mental problems. Mm -hmm. She's not smart. You know, she's obviously mentally retarded Mm -hmm. or, you know, in some way. And you need to go seek professional help. And the mother is in tears and she doesn't know what to do with the kid. And she takes the kid to a psychiatrist. And the, the doctor talks to the little girl for a little while. Says, okay. He says, you know what? You're gonna. Why don't you just stay here in the office for a minute? Your mom and I are gonna go talk outside. We'll be back in five or ten minutes, and then we'll we'll, we'll finish up. Right. And he gets up and he turns on the radio to a music station, and he takes the mom outside and closes the door. And the mom says, "What did you want to talk to me about?" And he says, "Wait." And he opens up, and he's got a little peephole to look into the room. Yeah. And he, he says, "Just watch." And the little girl is sitting there on the couch and she's kind of bored and she listens to the music and she starts, you know, kind of tapping her foot and she starts moving her body. And yeah. within a minute and a half, she's up and she's moving and she's dancing and she's just in the music. And the psychiatrist says, your daughter's not dumb. She's a dancer. Holy crap. And that woman is the choreographer of Cats. Wow. And the story, the first time I heard the story, I just burst out crying because well, yeah. it was so moving to me yeah and the perception of like that her brain it's not that she's not smart her brain works differently mm-hmm. she th- sees the world differently mm-hmm. that's max yeah you know what i mean absolutely like he sees he's a g- clearly a genius right. the things that he does are so far beyond what a 15 year old kid should be able to do right and his way of interacting in the world is nothing like a normal kid right and he's not capable he's real struggles in doing it the way he's supposed to right you know and but and it doesn't mean there aren't lessons for him still to learn and which he's good, i yeah, love absolutely. about the film is that yeah they make him learn the he's lessons. gotta learn them yeah yeah after uh brian cox says he's one of the worst students we have we see what uh max is good at which is forming clubs yeah <laughs> And this montage is so great. Um, it's it's uh, to a song called Making Time by The Creation. And this is what we hear. is This, this, is, a, well, this is one of the great soundtracks. Absolutely. And originally he was going to do just all kinks. And then he ended up expanding it out to doing really a lot of British Invasion and Cat Stevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really good soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. And with every shot of every club, this is what we're talking about with everything looks like a painting. Yeah. Everything is framed perfectly. The color control is amazing. He has like very specific, this is the blue you will see in this film. Mm -hmm. This is the green you will see in this film in every single shot. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and what an interesting choice of clubs to include in the film, right? Like these are clubs like beekeepers and all these. Yeah, go-kart. Like all these different types of clubs. It's it's so, uh, it it adds to the, What do they call that with Zoe Deschanel? Like that kind of quirky, cool, whatever they call that. I don't know. It's it's just, but it is that thing. Yeah, it yeah. is that kind of quirky, kind of cool type thing. Yeah, it, absolutely. That's it adds to his overall lure of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but watching this, I was like, I kind of want to go to Rushmore. <laughs> I want to be part of all these cool clubs. Yeah, sure. But in the midst of having all these great clubs, we find out that he is on sudden death academic probation. Yeah. He's in deep, deep trouble. And I love Schwartzman's reaction to this. Can I see some documentation on that? Yeah. <laughs> Again, he acts like an adult. He doesn't exactly. act like a kid. Right. He's and, trying to. And Brian Cox knew that he was going to ask for documentation because mm-hmm. he has it ready. <laughs> Which is their relationship, right? And it's another window into their relationship we get throughout the whole movie. You know, because he has that conversation with him 
uh, where he says to him, why did you want me here at Rushmore? Do you remember why I came to Rushmore? I, yeah. like, I wrote a play. And he goes, yeah, I remember. And I wrote it, and you had all A little things. play about something called Watergate. Yeah, Watergate, right? So you get this idea, and that makes it him even more quirky, right? This idea that he has this uncanny connection with 70s-era controversy. Oh, yeah, right? Vietnam, Serpico. Uh, Watergate, Serpico, all yeah. of that is there, right? Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, You're totally all, right. Right, it's just all there because he has an uncanny connection because to him, that's his. That's his, probably his dad's stuff. And so, or he's living during that time and he just has an unnecessary, an, uh, an interesting connection to it and creates it. So, but it's either way, it, it gives you more and more connection to him because these are large events Serpico, Watergate, uh, 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 Vietnam. These are large events seen through his eyes and done in small scale on elementary school stages or on right. at stages of, of where he goes to uh, Rushmore. It's just fascinating that this is what gets you into the movie with him. You know? Well, and he doesn't have any sense of, I'm a kid, and therefore I should do these kinds of things. Right. He's right. just like, I'm doing this play, and it must be the greatest play ever made. And yeah. that's what... And, I, and, and this scene, because he, he mentions who sent him, who said he should go to Rushmore, right. is his mom. Right. And there's some, his mom was only mentioned a few times... Mm-hmm. But it's really powerful when she is. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, who was his mom? Yeah. She must have been a smart, precocious person, too. Yeah. Because his dad wouldn't have sent him to Rushmore. No. Although his dad is great. We're going to get to him, too. And his dad is incredibly understanding of Max. Uh, I mean, which amazing. Which means there must have been elements of that in his wife, Max's mom. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he tells Dirk about his situation. Yeah. And then we're, we're in, like, the backgammon club. And we find out that they're going to be killing Latin to make room for Japanese. Right. Uh, he finds this book that has this Cousteau quote that's handwritten into it, and that leads him to Mrs. Cross, um, Olivia Williams. Wi- Williams. Right. Name just dropped out of my head. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, she's great in this movie. Yeah, she is. And this was my first exposure Me to too. her. Me too. And uh, I've seen her every once in a while in certain films, and it's always interesting to see the different roles she can play. Uh, what's great about this also is that he initially is a, is, is, has been trying to kill Latin for two years. Right. So what kind of freshman comes in and goes, you know, or not, I guess not freshman because he's been there since fourth grade, I guess. But what kind of person is like all of a sudden deciding at what is relatively freshman age or even eighth grade, uh, we should kill Latin. Like who has that idea? Yeah. Right. So this, this just adds more to this lure of him being older than he really is. Like, I think that's what's happening here with his character is that his mind is older than his really, than he really is, but his emotions are still it's exactly emotions right. Or a teenager's emotions. Yeah. Well, and this is, this is something that becomes a Wes Anderson theme. Yes. Cause we're going to see it in Royal Tannenbaum. Yes. We're going to see it in Moonrise Kingdom. Is yes. that these precocious children that are very very smart having these experiences that are really beyond where they should be right and what the emotional consequences of that yeah you know with tannenbaums people are very emotionally stunted and yep yeah because because even when they're adults they're precocious children yeah exactly yeah yeah and and, and after meeting uh miss cross for Mm -hmm. uh for first we see we see our first version of a max fisher play which is the rehearsal of serpico (laughs) and this is one where i go I can't remember seeing it for the first time because I've seen it, you know, but right. it must have been just like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on? They're doing Serpico. I remember being excited because Serpico is one of my closet favorite Pacino films. You know what? I don't know that I've ever seen it. What? I don't, really? I mean, maybe I saw oh, it man. back in the day. Yeah. I used to see it whenever they showed it all the time, either on Metro Media 5 or on, on uh, 
WJLA 7 at, in D.C., they would show it in the Saturday afternoons. They'd have the Saturday right. afternoon movies. And I remember, because French Connection, like, I was into right. all the po- the cop stuff. I was really into it at a very young age. And I remember Serpico being one of the most uh, fucked up experiences because it was, like, my first exposure to being screwed over by your friends. And that's right. what happens to Serpico in the movie is his own Because he's, like, undercover cop. He's undercover cop, but he yeah. finds out these dirty cops are doing shit. He turns them in, and they set him up to get killed. Yeah, it's one. It's awesome. I, I literally don't know if I've seen it. It's based on a true story. I I, I knew that, and yeah. I and I've heard the guy interviewed yes. who was the cop because yeah. he's went on to do a lot of other stuff. Yep. And I have definitely seen clips from it. Right. And I might have seen it back in the eighties at some point. Yeah. But I, I honestly don't remember. That's one of the baddest Pacino performances ever. Like badass Pacino performances. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe that'll be a cinephile. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so so they're doing the Serpico play. Yes. Uh, and then we go out and we meet Dirk's mom. Yes. Connie Nielsen. What a random cameo! I had no idea that was her until yeah. just rewatching it this time. Literally one scene. Yeah. In the car. And man, Max is uh, he's a dirty son of a bitch. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, his feelings or his emotions are stuck wrapped up in this intelligent kid that can't he can't disseminate he can't figure him out figure out his emotions because he's trying if he was if he was older in terms of his emotions to match his intelligence he wouldn't t- talk about Dirk's mom in the way he does to that Scottish guy to make Mag- Magus Mag- sort of, Magnus Magnus yeah he wouldn't brag about trying to get a, a hand job like that's terrible right because he doesn't understand how to respect the situation but for him he is still dirty in that he's sitting in that car because he thinks he can actually get her. Like when he hands his card to her, that's his way of coming on to her. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, dude, you're 15. Well, he's, I mean, we're about to spend a whole movie with him coming on to another older woman. So then after talking to Dirk's mom, he goes over to see Mr. Bloom and his roles. Yes. And this is such a great moment because uh, he's like hall hall monitored up and he's got the walkie talkie and uh, Bill Murray's looking at him. And then he asks him this question. What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. <laughs> I think this is key. Yeah. Because what's so interesting about what we're going to see from the Bloom-Max relationship is that it is not father-son. No. It's not mentor-student. It's not older man-younger man. It is equals. Right. And in some ways, Bloom is less than... Yeah, you know, because for a older, multi-million-dollar successful man in a Rolls Royce to ask, "What's the secret, Max?" Mm-hmm. He really wants to know. Yeah, and I really think it shows how vulnerable he is, how yeah. lost he is, how sad he is. Right, he's asking a fifteen-year-old guy for the secret of life. Right, that's really what's happening in this moment. Yeah, he's a. We see him later in the pool, you know, submerging himself, a la the Graduate, underwater. And it's almost like Max is his life preserver. Like he's I saying, agree. "What? What is this all about?" And then Max says, "Secret? I don't know. I think you just got to find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life." For me, it's going to Rushmore. Yeah, like Max actually has the secret to life. He really does. And by the way, that's not a bad. That's no, not a bad answer. Absolutely, that's not. pretty good. Yeah. But, um, but I also think he's emotionally still a child. And Olivia agreed. Williams says this later on in the film, you're both children. You're yeah, both absolutely. children, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then what happens next? Up come Ronnie and Donnie. Yes. Harriman oh Bloom's wonderful, loving children. <laughs> oh, they're horrible. They are horrible. Oh, my God. They're the quintessential rich, rich guy's kids. Like, they're just these bros who are offensive, who are dismissive, and... 
when, when what I don't know which one of the two says, get your head out of your ass. Bill Murray just like clumsily reaching over to try to smack him in the face is awesome. It's fucking hilarious. It's, it's very funny. And, and, and it's also like goes to this thing. And this is, a, you know, is that you're the guy who came up, busted your yeah. ass to, to gain wealth. Right. And there's this weird thing. Um, and we've seen it in movies and I've seen it knowing people in life of like your goal is that your kids don't have to experience what you experienced. Mm -hmm. But what you experienced is part of what made you who you are. Yeah. And so how do you and in order to maintain the wealth that you have, probably not spending that much time with your kids. Right. And so then your kids become assholes. Yep. And and then you were in this situation, which I think Bill Murray or Herman Bloom is in mm -hmm. of what the fuck did I do all this for? Yeah. Spoiled assholes. Yeah, it's horrible, right, right. awful people. He has that line when in the wrestling match when he says, Never in my wildest imagination did I ever dream I would have sons like this. It's, and, it's such a, and that line makes me laugh every single uh -huh. time because there's so much truth to it and vulnerability to it. And yet and it's an observational, it's observational comedy. And it's just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we, we walk quickly by Mr. Little Jeans, which is a, a Wes Anderson. That's uh, Kumar Palana, who yep. shows up in a lot of his movies. He's very funny. Yes. Um, and we go off to meet Dad, who we discover is not a neurosurgeon, which yep. I think is what he told uh, Bloom, but yeah. is instead a barber played by the great Seymour Cassell, yeah. um, who's been in lots of Cassavetes films. Mm -hmm. This is a real actor from the 70s. He's great in this movie. He really is. And... You know, this is this is something that he brings the like the incredible amount of warmth and understanding. He never raises his voice. He never questions Max. He's always supportive of Max, which you can probably see why he thinks he can get away with the stuff he does because his dad, like when his dad d turns that thirty-seven into an eighty-seven, yeah, that's that's a that's the dad who is not going to discipline his child. And nope, you imagine the mom was probably disciplining Max more than the dad was, and so removing that disciplinary influence in his life he has just a father who uh he seems frail you know he seems like he needs max in terms of an emotional stability but not in a way that's uh um over the top and so it's sweet the way he cares about max yeah it may, and it makes me think again about mom yeah is that i go i bet and i have no evidence for this sure but i bet mom was brilliant and artistic mm -hmm. and fun and he loved her so much mm -hmm. dad did mm -hmm. and that he was supportive to her through her sadnesses and ups and downs mm -hmm. and, and turmoils and in the way that he's going to be supportive to Max, and he's not going to say you got to bring up your grades, yeah. Which every any other dad would say, of course, and and I would say, right? Like I wouldn't, I couldn't be C. Marcusell, <laughs> but man, he really is just, and he understands Max mm -hmm. in this way that I think Max doesn't yet understand himself, yeah. Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. That's possible. I should probably be trying harder to score chicks. That's the only thing anybody really cares about. It's not my forte, unfortunately. It'll happen, Max. It's just... You're like one of those clipper ship captains. You're married to the sea. Yes, that's true. But I've been out to sea for a long time. <laughs> It's such a great line. It's an amazing moment. It's like, man, dad really does understand him. Yeah. You know what's just <laughs> occurred to me is that it's almost like he's he's a superhero. He's like he's Spider-Man before Uncle Ben dies. Is that <laughs> is that he has superpowers. Right. Because he can do things like kill Latin. Sure. That no other 15-year-old boy should be able to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is able to create all this stuff 
but he doesn't know that with great power comes great responsibility, right. and he doesn't know what he should use it for. Mm-hmm. He kills Latin without thought, and now what's he going to do next? Rescue he's Latin. Bring, bring back Latin. Yeah, bring back Latin. So he has no morals about what he's no. doing, only that he wants to do it. And this leads us to this great scene where Max, we're on the bleachers, and Rosemary, Mrs. Cross, is yeah. going to light this cigarette, and there's Max in his beret, and lights the cigarette for her. Mm-hmm. This scene is so perfectly constructed in terms of shots. Mm-hmm. He's far away. He slides closer. She brings up that she was studying Latin American studies, and this means leads him to killing Latin because apparently he doesn't even know <laughs> that those things are entirely disconnected. Yeah. What was your major? I didn't have a major, but my thesis was on Latin American economic policy. Oh, that's interesting. Did you hear they're not going to teach Latin here anymore? This was more like Central America. Oh, Central America and whatnot. We're moving on. They're going to cancel Latin. They've got to make room for Japanese. That's a shame because all the Romance languages are based in Latin. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Nihilo Sanctum Esne. What's that? Oh, it's Latin, isn't it? I mean, the scene is amazing. Well, it's great movement of relationship, right? Because at first, he purposely puts himself away from her because he doesn't want to encroach her space, but he still wants to seem interesting, which is why he, unnoticeable, which is why he wears the red hat. It stands out. It's bright. It's colored. He may not even know why he's doing it, but he thinks this is the way to get seen. Then he walks over to her, sits down, has this conversation, says she should stop smoking. Then in almost an adult way goes, and you know what? I should mind my own business, which is a smart move. No. If you're seducing someone, that's a smart move. Gets up, moves away. But then she instigates. And this is what we're going to, I think we're going to have to discuss this. How much does she, like initiate or uh, encourage him, him encourage him his attraction for her because of where she's at in her life in a vulnerable position having lost her husband living in his house you know all this that we we find out about her as the film progresses how much is her initiating or, or encouraging him without knowing she's encouraging him and i don't mean to blame i'm just saying well i, I doing well that. i would take it a step forward yeah how attracted to is she attracted to him right you know is that and and i agree this is a question in the film right that we're gonna we're definitely going to get into i mean yeah, so absolutely he does the great seduction by and then he's like he comes closer comes closer and then he feels more comfortable and that's when you start you start to feel uncomfortable as a viewer going like what are you doing this is a teacher you're 15 yeah right well but but his adultness and his precociousness yeah. kind of smooths it over a little exactly. bit because he's handling it all he's so smooth yeah Throughout the whole thing, it's a bizarre scene. It is. And so from his conversation with Olivia Williams, he goes, I guess I have to save Latin. And now we see he killed Latin in the first place, and now he heroically and brilliantly creates a campaign to save Latin, and he does so well that it's now going to be required for everybody to go to Rushmore. Yeah, he does. It's uh, from 7 to 12. Grade seven to twelve, you have to you have to pass Latin now. It's required. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah, there's certain people that could make shit happen. Yeah, you know. But Magnus's reaction is the right reaction. Yeah, you couldn't just shut your mouth, Fisher. It's right because <laughs> he's right. Nice accent. Well, thanks. Um, the, 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 <laughs> but well, and this is like you know, it's something we've talked about. Is that you know, we talked about executives in Hollywood yeah. who like want something to happen, but don't really know what the hell it is they want or why. And then when they make it happen, they don't understand the consequences yeah. of making it happen. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's like, again, we go back to great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. All right. You made Latin happen. Good job. But it's also, it also speaks to Steve, what we do for a girl. 
Absolutely. We, right? Because he's doing this all for a girl. Yeah. Right? Or a woman, really, but a girl in, in the construct of film. You're and, doing it for a girl. And doing it totally delusionally. Yes, delusionally. Yes. She didn't want Latin. No. She never. She did Latin American studies. Right. Literally has nothing to do with Latin. Right. She just says that it's a shame it's dying. She doesn't say, I really wish it wouldn't die. Yeah. Then we end up uh, at, at this wrestling match. Yeah. Wrestling match. And we get that line that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just an amazing moment. And then apparently Max is a wrestler. Yeah, that's such a great back and forth to <laughs> him and Bloom. And then he goes, wait, you're on the team? When yeah. he gets up, right? Yeah. I'm an alternate. And yeah. then he gets pinned in three seconds. It's three seconds. It's yeah. ridiculous. But he impresses Murray even more because Max is doing what, what, uh, what Bloom can't, which is he's living his life to the fullest right. within the construct of his world, right? Irregardless of grades, because he probably hasn't told Bloom about the fact that he's failing out of college, out of the school, but he's getting to like do all these things to the fullest, you know. And Bloom is watching him, so he sees this go getter in Max. That's what he says to him. I think he says, "Come work for me" or something like that. Yeah. And and Max well, says, "I, you know, don't mess with me." Blah blah blah. Well, and I think it goes to this, you know, Bloom has followed the American dream to the end, mm-hmm. and he found out nothing was there. Yeah, there's no gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, I mean, because you know, it's like you you. You spend your life going, I'm going to make money and I'd be wealthy. Mm-hmm. And he looked at all the rich kids at Rushmore mm-hmm. and he went, I want what they have. And now he's miserable and doesn't know what to do. Right. And there's also a great moment in the scene that we have to talk about, uh, which is. So you were in Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. <laughs> Bill Murray's delivery of that is. It's great deadpan. Yeah. Great and, deadpan. And I think it's strangely honest and sort of vulnerable again, Mm -hmm. this character. And uh, there's a big birthday party coming up, but he would like Max to be there. Ask Ronnie and Donnie if they've invited Max. They don't want Max at the party. No, they don't. Yeah. And we we go to the birthday party. It's a hell of a party. Man, a girl fell in love, glad as I can be. It's a great window into this guy's world, you know? The he's he's by himself. He's ostracized himself from the party. Yep. He's wearing his butt his cheesy Budweiser bathing suit yep. shorts and uh and he's throwing golf balls into just the pool randomly into the pool, watching his wife flirt with what may be the tennis instructor or whoever sure. that guy is. Um but I like when the little kid shows up uh and looks at him. And it's just staring at him, and Bill Murray just reflexively throws a ball close to He doesn't yep. hit the kid, but it's he close. throws it close to the kid to kind of be like, get the fuck out of here. Well, you know? And then he climbs the stairs of yes. the high dive. Never seen anyone who had a high dive in the backyard. That's kind of awesome. With the cigarette in With his mouth. cigarette in one hand and the glass of scotch <laughs> or whatever in the other hand, and jumps in the water, and we have the great, again, the great soundtrack. There's nothing in this world to stop me worrying about that girl. Which is the Kinks. Right. The song is just amazing. Ends up underwater, and this, and they consciously are referencing the graduate. Of course, of course, yeah, underwater, and then you even have the kid fl- go by him. Yeah. Um, here's the thing: is that clearly his home life is terrible. Yes. Ronnie and Donnie are awful. Right. His wife is possibly, possibly having an affair, at least flirting with this guy. Yes, definitely. But then there's part of me too looking at this is like, hey, Bill might have brought some of this on himself. Yes, and you know? the fact that he's like almost in a way of, oh, he's almost despondent about yeah. what to do with his life. Because he's not willing to take responsibility for his part in it either. He thinks it's all happening to him rather than because of him. I mean, I don't know how long he's been getting drunk and throwing golf balls at birthday parties, but that's not cool behavior for dad. No. You know, if he's been doing this for Ronnie and Donnie's entire life, then you know what? 
you bear a lot of responsibility. That's a fair point. You know, absolutely. He's not necessary. And, you know, and maybe she should be having, you know, flirting around with the tennis instructor, depending on what kind of husband he's been. Right. Right. You know, but that's not the movie. We're in, no, because no. we're with Bill. <laughs> so Max has saved Latin. Yes. He wants to brag about it a little bit. So he, he goes to see Rosemary. She didn't actually ask him to save Latin. No. She thought it was nice. She said she heard about it. But she didn't think it was that big of a deal, yeah. And then they, they uh, you know, start working on the aquariums, and now we get a new idea. Aquariums. Right. Maybe the way to a woman's heart is through a tank of salt water. <laughs> but also because we find out that she was married. That's in right. This That's scene, right. right? In this scene. Which is a great, like, great uh, physical gag that you see in the old school. Like, he drops the fish food into, as soon as she says married, you hear the bloop. Uh, yep. because, because he's shocked that she's been married or yeah. what. It was married. And then she talks about that he died... And it was recent and yeah. all that. And he's, then he says, do you, you know, I think he says just before that, do you need an assistant? He's like, well, I don't think they give you one. So there's there's whole, so in his mind, he's like, well, this is a way I can get to her because she loves the fish so much. She right. loves the aquarium so and much. And there's some connection with this and, mm-hmm. and her husband, right. Edward Appleby. And, yeah. and what we're going to find out is that he's really the only reason she's at Rushmore. Yes. And, and this is something we're going to get into when we go to her room, yeah. too, is that some weird stuff going on with this woman. Yes. Some strange things. Well, to allow this these two guys to be in her world and, and, and try to win her heart, it lets you know that she's in a weird place as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely in a weird place. So uh, Max heads off to the factory because he's got a new plan. Yes. And he goes to see Bill. <laughs> he says, let's build an aquarium. Such a great scene. <laughs> and what's amazing to me is that he convinces him. He does, but he doesn't convince him for the amount that he wanted. Sure. Which I think is brilliant. The 65000 down to 2500 The The deadpan... That's the thing that Bill Murray does so great in this whole movie, is the deadpan reactions yep. to everything, yep. and then the line, and the lines. So uh, we're starting to come up with a plan for the aquarium. Yeah. Dirk loves to work for Max. Yes. He's just a great... And this is the thing, too, is some people are looking for the person that makes things happen. Yes. Yeah, and that's what Dirk is. Mm-hmm. Dirk doesn't. Dirk needs a Max. Yeah, that's what he wants. Yeah, you know, and obviously a Max needs a Dirk. Yes. Um, and uh, now we go visit Rosemary in the library. Yeah, it's such a weird little scene for me. That whole scene. Because she's like, what's poorest. weird about it for you? Well, because it's so overt. You can tell he's overtly flirting, which is why it leads to that moment where Rosemary says, "Has it ever crossed your mind that you're far too young for me?" And he has his response ready. It crossed my mind that you might consider that a possibility, yeah? Quite apart from the fact that if you're a student... I'm not trying to pressure you into anything, Miss Cross. But I'm surprised you brought it up so bluntly. I just want to make sure... And what we see, too, by the way, is that, uh, that Wes Anderson has obviously studied film, and mm-hmm. some of the people he loves, in addition to Hal Ashby, where you see uh, references from... There's some Harold and Modest yes. in this film. Yeah. But another person he loves is Kubrick. And we see in the way that he sets up shots, he does that same sort of center-punched, um, mm. wide-angle lens, camera sort of close with the person looking almost exactly at camera, yeah. which we've also seen in the Coen brothers. We've also seen it when we talked about Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Like this technique, it brings you very, very close to the characters. And it also feels just a little uncomfortable yes. and a little comedic. Yeah. And this scene with the lemonade and the fairly frank talk about his attraction to her, yeah. it's definitely weird. Or, or, And his childish way of being like not owning up to the fact that he's attracted to her because he's like, well, in this relationship, she goes, Max, we don't have a relationship because we're friends, aren't we? That's the relationship I mean. 
Like he's totally he's... trying to, because he's a 15 year old, he's not capable of understanding emotion, emotions fully. He is manipulating the situation for his own benefit. Like even when he gets up to sharpen his pencil, when she's trying to <laughs> stop, like she's trying to contradict him, he purposely goes to something that makes loud noises to kind of yep. uh, drown her out. Well, and it's funny because, yes, he's a 15-year-old in, yeah. in terms of his emotions, but in terms of his game, yeah. he's he's got it all going he, on. He does, but he's clumsy in the game. Like, you know what I'm saying? He wears the uniform, but he keeps fumbling the fucking ball. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? He, we keep handing him the ball, but he keeps fumbling it. So he, he's on the team. <laughs> the problem is he's just not scoring. Yeah, um, so, yeah. It, it, yeah it's, it's, it's such an odd scene. And, and, and this is where, too, and this is what you brought up before, and you see it more here, mm -hmm. she likes him. She likes him, yes, absolutely. Because she does not say, she does not get up and walk out and say, this stops and this ends now. She willfully accepts the red pen from him. So there's these things, right? And when, that handshake, the and handshake, there's sort yeah. of like a... Right, there's a moment. Because she doesn't, she does, it's, it's weird. She goes through some of the actions of shutting him mm -hmm, down, mm -hmm. but she didn't shut him down. No. She, yeah, what degree she's encouraging this is very hard to tell. Well, I think she's in a vulnerable place, right? Yeah. I think this is where we have to understand the audience understand her story is that she's in a vulnerable place. She just lost a man she really, really loved, and she'd known they were pen pals since what fourth grade or first grade or something like that. So their relationship is her entire life. Well, and she fell in love with him when he was young. When he was young at Rushmore, at when he Rushmore. came to visit her in came to and, London, and they randomly just met. And this where the figure figure of Edward Appleby kind of hovers over yeah. this movie like Mom does to me. Yeah, yeah, which is like, well, who was this person? Right. Because her feelings for Max, you cannot, I don't think you can separate it from whatever weird feeling she has for her dead husband. No, and it's true because she says later on in the film, you remind me of him a lot. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. And I think she needs to be pursued. She needs to feel wanted. She needs to feel uh, like someone wants to take care of her. Do you know what I'm saying? She, she, uh, to me, that's how I take it. And this is not, yeah. you know, I'm speaking about it as a guy. Um, maybe a woman who would have been on the podcast with us maybe offer a different perspective. But to me, it feels like that, that she's, she likes the attention because she's in this place where she needs the attention in a vulnerable place in her life. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, let's take a moment <laughs> to yes? admire the skill of the Max Fisher players. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because we're about to see a performance of Serpico. I acted in a bunch of high school plays. <laughs> did you act? Did you do high school plays? Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. They weren't like this. No, a lot of times in high school you're doing musicals or you're doing like funny comedies. Yeah. You're, you're rarely doing, or maybe occasionally an, a Shakespeare play, but you're rarely doing heavy material. I actually did do, had a weird high school thing, and we did yeah. do heavy material. Oh, okay, but we didn't have these sets and live ammo oh, and well, guns. Sure. And... I've got something. This could be it. It's actually across the street. Yeah, Tim. He's still mad. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Take him! <laughs> this was crazy. I just love Dirk Calloway as the nun. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. It's awesome. Yeah, and then the altercation in the hallway. Yeah, because in intermission, we yeah. flubbed a line. Yeah. Because one thing we can say, he might not apply to himself to school. No. But he implies himself to this play. Well, the things he loves and believes in, yeah. absolutely. They get 100% of his effort, yeah. Find out what you love and do that the rest of your life. That's, exactly. that's his philosophy. Exactly. He gets punched in the face. Yeah, because he, he's snapping back at the actor. Yep. Don't fuck with my play. And then, we're, and then we're back on stage to finish the play. Yeah. And there's that curtain call and the slow-mo walk out with the bloody nose and the flowers. Yeah. It's a beautiful shot. I want to tell you something, Steve. One of my pet peeves as a lover of film, as a cinephile, 
a self-proclaimed cinephile. <laughs> Well-documented cinephile. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, and fuck you for fuck all of you all for hating me for loving Transformers. But uh, here's the deal: <laughs> I, I have such a thing about slow motion. I I am if it's not used properly, it takes a, me completely out of the movie. But when you use it really well, it's everything to me. The people who know how to use slow motion really well. I hate slow motion in every scene of the Lord of the Rings where it shows up. Mm. Every fucking scene. I hate it. But in Rushmore, Wes does such a great job. Oh, it's great. This, the, the slow walk. And everyone is clapping except for the kid who punched him in the face, which is brilliant. Because yeah. that they've still got their thing. But he is, he is just drinking up the applause with... The bloody yep. yeah thing in the tissue in his nose, like all of it, it's just brilliant. The juxtaposition of this guy sweaty with the bloody nose holding these flowers, and then just kind of and then looking back to kind of rub it in the face of that guy who punched him in the in the nose, just brilliant. There's so much going on in this yeah. scene, yeah. and then he thinks he's going to have a night out with Herman Bloom oh, and uh, Rosemary, yeah. But there's this other guy who pops up, <laughs> the great Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson. So, so much fun, man. And Max is not pleased. No. He's still going to go out. And, and Dad is like, hey, let's go do something. And he says, no, Dad, I have plans. And yeah. Dad just goes, okay. Yeah, he blows his dad off. This is it's, what I mean. He's a little shit. He is. He because is. he just wants what he wants. He's almost narcissistic and that he just wants what he wants. I don't know how oh, yeah. deeply narcissistic he is, but he certainly feels that way. And even when he walks up to uh, uh, Olivia Williams to, to Rosemary and says, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, so dismissive <laughs> there's of someone a, she brought What happened to your plane. nose? I got punched in the nose. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? He's a horrible person. And Luke's dead... Deadpan, yeah. it's just Luke is so good in the in these scenes in the film yeah. because the film is played in a certain. You have to at least maintain some sort of endearing connection to Max, so you can't have anybody like react to him in a, a overtly negative way, other yeah. than Magnus because he's set up as the villain. But everyone else, kind of like you know, Luke is almost like okay, well, he's fifteen. Yeah, right. He's People, understanding. It, well, and this is the and this is a perfect way to get us into dinner. Yeah, because there's this this dichotomy with him where people because he acts so adult yeah. that people want to treat him adult, and then when he acts like a child, people don't know how to deal with it. Yes, you know, and that's what we're going to see in this dinner yeah. is that he this scene is so uncomfortable and painful and hilarious and complicated. Yeah, and what. All of the actors are so good, mm -hmm. and Jason Schwartzman is amazing. He really is. Yeah. Well, I didn't know we were going to dinner. That's because you weren't invited. Take it easy, Max. You were the one that ordered him a whiskey and soda. So what's wrong with that? I can write a hair play. Why can't I have a little drink to unwind myself? And he doesn't do drunk like stumbling over shit, knocking stuff over. He does obnoxious. Honestly, I think he's only halfway through that first whiskey. <laughs> Probably, yeah, you well, know what I mean? He's, he's never had 15. a drink. But he's yeah, 15. I'm sure he hasn't. But yeah. I love what, what Rosemary says. She's like, you, when, Bill, when Bloom's like, calm down, Max. And he's like, no, you're the one that decided to give him drinks. Yeah. And I think that's the beginning of their kind of flirtation, possibly, between the two. Well, and I think because Bill gave him a drink because he treats him like an adult. He does. He sees him as a peer. Right. You know? And then we have the great... Which, which speaks to the childish nature of Bloom. Absolutely. Yeah, no yeah, question yeah. about it. They go, yeah. Um, well, because he hasn't learned how to be a father. I mean, yeah. he's at his fucking birthday party with the, the scotch and the Budweiser things, throwing golf balls into the pool. You're not acting like an adult. Come on. <laughs> it's so true. Um, and uh, we have to just... I have to give a moment because my wife and I say this all the time. No. Which is... I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Oh, are they? Yeah. 
That line is so stupidly funny to me. It really is. <laughs> it is a really good line. And then you get to see Max really be a child and wig out. I yeah. made a hit play. Yeah. You hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings. Yeah. Right? You're being rude, Max. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to figure out why you brought this gentleman to my play and my dinner, which was invitation only. Would you like me to pass the creamer, dog? Yes, please. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You hurt my feelings. This night was important to me. How did I hurt your feelings? Oh, my God! I wrote a hit play! And I'm in love with you. And I'm in love with you. And he yeah. he, he buries yeah. the, he drops it, right? He drops yeah. the bomb on the table, even after she had said, in the library... There can be nothing between us. There is no relationship. And he tries to manipulate the conversation to make her feel like stupid for inferring they were more than a friendship. And then, true to form, as a child will do, yeah. he drops it and, and just like blurts it out yep. uh, with no class in the middle of this dinner. And I love Luke's reaction. Again, the blinking eye looking right. left and right. Just brilliant. Yeah. I love also the moment that uh, he hits Luke on the hand with a spoon. Oh, Lord! <laughs> Lord. It is awesome. I have to say one thing through this about, too. Now, I'm talking about a six-year-old now, not a 15-year-old. But one of the things that happens a lot with my kid yeah. is, like, last night we were playing a game. And the game was a totally random dice-rolling game. Yeah. And he was not winning. And he got upset. And he said, that's not fair. And fair is an interesting word because he doesn't understand what fair means. Oh. It's like, no, it was a random chance. We both had the same chances. You didn't win. That's not being unfair. You could be sad you didn't win. Yes. Uh, Max, in this scene, the, nothing unfair has happened to him. No, no, no. But he's hurt, and therefore it's everybody else's fault. Yes. Because he's a child. Right. As opposed to going, oh, this hurts. I'm experiencing something I don't like. Right. But nobody was mean to me. No, nobody no, no. did anything wrong. But he is a child because... He won't listen to what Rosemary's saying. No. He thinks he can trick her into being in... in a, he thinks he knows better than her. Well, he should get everything he wants. Right. He's Max Fisher. Right. If he wants Latin to come back, Latin comes back. If he wants to kill Latin, he kills Latin. If he wants yeah. to do a play about Serpico and have live guns on the stage, he could do that too. <laughs> if he wants to not study for things, he doesn't have to study for things. That's right. Well, and this is the thing about these people that we've talked about where everybody just... Where they're yeah. special and Max is special. Yes. And special people get away with shit. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And, and and special people need to get their comeuppance, which is really what a lot of this movie is about. Yeah. Is that he's got to get the shit kicked out of him a little bit. He does, because he's a massive dick. I mean, when yeah. he says that to the waiter, he's like, we were only supposed to be three. Thank you for accommodating. Like, it's so unnecessary. Yep. So unnecessary. Because he's a dick. You're right. You're right. Um, and he's uh, hurt. And he's hurt. And he's hurt, of course. Right. And so we're back at school, and there's a painting class, and Rosemary's painting. Mm. I love that she's wearing the backwards shirt. Yeah. Which I personally believe is Edward Appleby's shirt, by the way. Oh, um, and uh, damn, that's good, Steve. And uh, Bill is spying on her from behind the trees. Yeah, such great, so funny. Um, man, Bill kind of comes up, and you. And well, once her, again, he's being a child, absolutely hiding behind trees, jumping yeah. back. instead of just walking straight up and giving her the letter. Yeah, he's being a child by hiding behind trees. Well, and this is where you can see he's attracted to her. Yes, we didn't really see that before. Yeah, but you definitely see it now, yeah. and, and that's where you start to go, uh oh. This, this is a problem here. Yeah. And then he runs away. Yes. And we get this very formal, well-written apology from Max. <laughs> um, uh, but the next thing we're going to do is break ground for an aquarium. Oh, man. And this is the height of arrogance. Yes. You know, like you're just going to cut down trees and get rid of a soccer field because you feel you could build an aquarium. Right. Just on your own. Yeah. Just, just randomly think to do it. 
Yeah. And he gets all these people. Like, how does a 15-year-old kid get all these work crews and all this shit? Like, how is it possible? You know, this, this, it it must have been through Bloom. He makes me think about Steve Jobs. Yeah. Is that Steve Jobs was one cool. of these people who did these sort of things, you know, mm-hmm. and made people just, like, flock to doing them. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he said, we're going to do this. Yeah. Well, and honestly, you know, uh, guys like Wes Anderson and, you know, that are just making films and doing plays when they're young. And yeah. People like people that know what they're doing yeah or 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 seem to know what they're doing right yeah uh the coach by the way that's what uh that's the other wilson the other the less famous wilson brother yeah uh andrew wilson um unfortunately no rosemary no she never shows up but you know who does show up guggenheim Guggenheim. (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately this is gonna be it for max at rushmore i love him running in i love him running in with the coach blowing the with with the wilson blowing the whistle which is so brilliant and uh we we watched the the expulsion from outside with the rain and the the thunderstorm so yeah and off we go to uh grover cleveland high school (laughs) i just love it's called grover cleveland yeah just one of the most forgotten presidents ever Grover yeah. Cleveland High School, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's no Chester A. Arthur, but... No, I mean, yeah, right. Uh, um, <laughs> Millard <and> Fillmore. <laughs> and apparently, those are right across the street from each other, the, which oh. is the, the real high schools and the St. Andrews or whatever it is, that the prep school that um, Wes Anderson went to is yeah. right across the street from what sounds like a much nicer public school, but they then dirtied it up quite a bit to yeah. make it look pretty rough. Yeah. You know, I never was the, a new kid in school. Like, I never got <laughs> transferred in. But I'm thinking that making a speech in front of the class is not a good idea. With your Rushmore jacket still on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of... I mean, I love the the way they populated the kids looking yep. at him. You know, it's different races. And one is in an ROTC kind of yep. like outfit. And their reaction that once the bell rings, they could give two shits yeah. about it. They're it's non-reaction. Amused. Yeah. yeah. They're almost amused. Because they don't, they don't like just like beat him up or make no, fun no, of him. No. They just go... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a meh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the huevos of that mm-hmm. to get up and do that. And the insanity that will disconnect from reality. Right. Uh, oh, and he says he's going to start a fencing team. Yes. Because I see you don't have one. That's <laughs> <laughs> just so dumb. Uh, and uh, right. we meet uh, Margaret Yang. Yes. Who is Sarah Tanaka. I love her in this She's movie. She's so good in this yeah. movie, man. She's so sweet and Even smart. So. Yeah. 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 And is Max nice, nice to her? No. No, not nice to her. But that's a, that's, a inter- that's what I think about this film. This is very interesting. He's such a dick to so many people. But so many people seem to find this n- that he's got this other nicer quality to him. I guess because well, he never really erupts at anybody. Um, Except the he, play guy. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty demanding. He's demanding, but he doesn't like flip out on people. Here's the thing. People don't like people because they're nice. True. People like people for a lot of complicated reasons. Nice maybe is one of them. Sure, sure. But I've seen a lot of people who are not particularly nice, but might be very special or yeah. charismatic yeah. or funny or witty or cutting or sometimes even cruel. Yeah. And they get a lot of followers. You yeah. Know? The so, yellow. Yeah. <laughs> he is not a nice guy. No, he's pretty rough He's sometimes. kind of a dick, man. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Yellow is a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should be less nice. <laughs> Um, so, don't do uh, it. Don't do it. Yeah. So he, he does. He sets up some fencing thing in the yes. basketball court. No. The basketball team comes in. They're not very interested in him. Not at all. Calls up Bill on the payphone. Bill's on his cell. Uh, runs, jumps over a fence, falls. Right. That was a real fall. Oh shit. Yep. Huh. Well, and we we're, we're led to believe that he's been ignoring Max's, Max's calls, yeah. right? So he, because he, you know why? Because he's having the secret flirtation with. Uh, with Rosemary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think he's got an attraction. Do you think he started flirting with her yet? Yes. I think he has an attraction, oh, okay. but I think he's been doing little things to kind of 
meet up with her or seek her or find excuses to run into her, I and, think. And on the two sides of this phone call, there's so much stuff going on. Yeah. Because we have a security guy trying to get Max off the phone. That's so great. We have Bill walk through a basketball game and stop some yeah. good shot, yeah, right. which is awesome. And then you have him lying to him trying to convince Max that she's not that attractive. Right. When we know that secretly it's because he really likes her. Once again, he's a fucking child. Yeah. That's what a child would do. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's a very complex. There's a lot going on and it's very tense. Yeah. So Max goes back to Rushmore, runs into Magnus. And lies about Dirk's mom giving him a handjob. Yeah. First of all, I don't know what movie has the most references to the word handjob. <laughs> Han, you know, uh, but th- this is up there. Yeah. We talk sure. about handjobs quite a bit. Boogie Nights, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, and that's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. The, we're getting towards the low point for Max. Yeah. And this is a progression, right? Yeah. Wes is really challenging us as a viewer. How far can we follow this guy as the protagonist and still feel he has some kind of uh, redeemable value? And when he does that is when everything starts to begins the yeah. process of falling apart yep. for him. Yeah. Uh, sees uh, Rosemary, gives her back this book. Yeah. Still, because this is the thing. He hasn't given up yet. No. He is still trying to play a certain kind of game. And he, she's letting him play the game. Right. And he says that now the game is I need a tutor. And we go into this montage, yeah. uh, which is Here Comes My Baby with Cat Stevens. Yeah. And we have tennis with Herman and them and everyone's having fun. Right. We have uh, him doing backflips at the uh, at the basketball game. So he's, he's leaning into being in the high school. Yep. Right. He's and you could watch Bloom watch him. Yeah. He just loves him. Yeah. He really does. Um, and uh, we see little science project stuff. It's a really again beautifully constructed montage. Mm-hmm. And we see Margaret getting a prize like, yep. looking like she's the smarter one. Yep. He just has some green badge. Uh, he brings Margaret. He's going to have her in a, a play. Yeah. And then Herman goes and visits Rosemary. And he fucking lies. Oh, I thought Max had... Did Max have something planned for us today? Yeah. Listen, all's fair in love and war, man. All's fair in love and war. Is it? That's what they say. Yeah, I don't think either's true. I've seen it. Oh, I, I'm not saying that it that it doesn't happen. Yes. Do 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 people uh, torture people in war? Yeah. Is that fair? Sure. Mm. Is it fair? No. I'm not saying it's fair. But well, it the happens. sentence you say is all's fair in love and war. Right. But I'm <laughs> mean in love and war in a, in in pursuing somebody. I don't mean actual war. <laughs> I mean you know it's always a war to try to to try to win somebody. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. Sometimes it's a war within yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh, they go off on a nice little walk. Yes. The scene is really sweet. It really is until... Until... Uh, who sees them but uh, Dirk? Dun, dun. I love that <laughs> It's pretty dramatic. Right? He's like a little... Like this little kid on the bike is somehow carries all this weight from the shot. And then when <laughs> Bill Murray gets in the car and tries to drive off, yeah. and there's Dirk. I know about you and the teacher. I just love that he calls him Bloom. The way he says Bloom. Yeah. You're a married man, Bloom. You're supposed to be his friend. Look, Dirk. I am his friend. Oh, yeah. And with friends like you, who needs friends? With friends like you, who needs friends? (laughs) Which is a perfect good-bad line. Yes. And then spitting on the car. And then and then the twins lock him out of his own car. Oh, God, God, man. God, I hate Ronnie and (laughs) I mean, they're just the jerks. Horrible. And then Dirk talks to Magnus. Yes. Magnus tells him, like, you know, you're protecting the wrong guy. Yeah. And then tells him what he said about... Uh, about Fisher said about the hand jobs and with his mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, again, Dirk's letter, which, again, has oh, many references gosh. to hand jobs. 
Dear Max, I am sorry to say that I have secretly found out that Mr. Bloom is having an affair with Miss Cross. My first suspicions came when I saw them Frenching in front of her house, and then I knew for sure when they went skinny-dipping in Mr. Bloom's swimming pool, giving each other hand jobs while you were taking a nap on the front porch. Why am I telling you this now? Because you're such a good friend. Horrible. It's a great letter, though. The kid is incredibly smart. The kid is probably smarter than Max. I think that kid's going to be more successful than Max, because Max is always going to fall victim to his uh, hubris. Whereas I think the kid is smarter all around, and he will be like he's going to be a Hollywood exec. He's going to be like running the studio. Yeah, but Max, he, can't, he can't. I mean, a Dirk. But Dirk can't make stuff happen. I That's think what, he's so, still young. He's gonna sure. I, I'm not making any predictions, but yeah. to me, it's like this is Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. I'm going to prove the case later in the film. All yes. right, I can't wait. Yes. I can't yes. wait. Then we have Bloom gets in his car. Yes, there's someone in the back seat. <laughs> Well, Bloom's, Bloom's leaving Rosemary's house leaving at 2 Rose, a.m. You're right, you're right. Right? So he gets the... Because uh, Dirk sends a letter to Max. And he sent a letter to Max out of anger. Because he said he was... I don't want Max to find out. But as soon as Magnus told him about the hand jobs, then Dirk sends a letter to Max to, to, to fuck with him. And so Max shows... So turn him crazy. And Max shows yeah. up at 2 a.m. in the car waiting for Bloom. Yeah. Clearly, he's been following him. Yes. We're in just classic jealous man. Yes. Jilted lover stuff. I've never done this stuff. I I never have either. I've always been afraid to do this stuff because like you could it could lead to some really bad consequences. Of course, there is no good consequences here. <laughs> I mean, there is, yeah. I mean, honestly, what yeah. happens in this sequence is fairly tame. Yeah. Although they essentially, you know, don't try. I mean, close to trying to kill each other is coming up. So, yeah. Right. So exactly. I love the line in the car where where he says, uh, "Bloom says I'm in love with her," and he says, "I was in love with her first. Yeah. As if first matters. Dibs. Dibs." And then there's just this great line of, I saved Latin. What did you ever do? Yeah, man. It's like, she didn't want you to save Latin. Yeah, exactly. It's like you did this heroic thing for no reason at all. But I love that it's a little CIA reference. It's also kind of 70s, kind of sitting in the dark, smoking the cigarette. It's just brilliant. But it's it's also dirty because the way he speaks about it. Was she good? Did you? Like, oh, it's just so insulting it's to play. her. It's out of yeah. Like, it's out it of feels play. like it's out of a play. Mm-hmm. You know, he because because that's mimic. where yeah, it's where he knows stuff from is yeah. from plays yeah. and movies and things. Yes. Um. Uh. He visits Rosemary, thanks her for ruining his life, then builds a big bonfire on the back of uh, Rushmore. Yeah. And again, you could see the perfect framing with that bench that I know they brought that bench in to put mm-hmm. to put there because he needed some balance in the frame. Right. And now we're gonna. Uh, when does he send the letter to... That's what's coming yeah, right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that now it's time to destroy Bloom. Oh, and the first thing he does is send a letter to Bloom's wife yeah. about the affair. This is um, some adult stuff. This is some um, serious shit, man. Yeah. But once again, he's still a 15-year-old because he brings sandwiches. <laughs> I just love a that choice he of sandwiches. sandwiches. A choice. And very childish sandwiches. Out of respect. Yeah. yeah. Peanut butter jelly, right? And tuna fish, I think yep. is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I love that the wife says, I'll take the tuna fish. I love that she shows up like needing to cover her face as yeah. if, you know, Bill Murray's people are all around or something. Like, and once again, it's that 70s, like CIA vibe. Like we talked about on Three Days of the Condor, sure. that whole thing you have to hide. It seems like that's what he's doing. This a SBI. movie I'm sure Max saw. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. that's it. Well, we know he wrote a play about Watergate. Yeah. So he knows all about Deep Throat. I mean, yeah. like he, yeah. And they were at a parking garage. Yeah, at a parking garage. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's all referenced there. And I love yeah. how she goes, just get to it. Because he's yeah. doing all these different All this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so Bill checks into a hotel. Yeah. And then we go into, this montage is just astounding. I love it. Hey, 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 hey. 
song, by the way, is a quick one while he's away, which is The Who. Oh, kind nice. of an obscure Who track. Yes. And Bill's sitting, having his little breakfast, and in come some bees, and another bee, and some more bees. And there's this moment where he's trying to get away from the bees, and then he looks down and sees a little plastic tube with the bees coming through, cracking yes. the door. Yes! And he knows... And the, smi- the like smile, there's like smiles. It's admiration. Yeah, he's like, oh yes, because this is what he's been missing. Yeah, to live. Yeah, to be challenged. He's not challenged in his life anymore. He's conquered. He's made millions. He's got a wife. Got kids. Got he's everything miserable. he could want. But he's miserable. Yeah, because he wants a challenge. Yeah. Max finally shows up with a challenge. Now he's alive. Now he's alive. Yeah. yeah. And then we go to we talked about the slow mo shot on the on the stage at yes. the curtain call. Yeah. And now we get an even better one, which is he's coming out of the elevator with a bee box <laughs> and he puts the gum on the wall and it is just like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're at war. Yeah, it's so great, man. Yeah. The back and forth. Yeah. Bill goes and gets Mike uh gets Max's bike and runs over with his car. <laughs> and then and then Max cuts the brakes. Oh my god. It's like, it's such this a great is life scene. and death, yeah. man. He's like, ah, ah. The, the the Bill Murray yells are great as as a as a uh the brakes get cut. And then the slow bit <laughs> to where it's the slow, slow crash. And then what happens next? Max gets arrested. Yes. This is big. Also in slow motion, if yeah. I think I remember correctly. I think it yeah. is, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, dad, dad bails him out. Yes. Doesn't really ask any questions. No. No. And he says, can you drop me off here? I got something I need to do. Yeah. Wow. So I'm telling you now, when yes. my son gets arrested for cutting <laughs> someone's brake lines, I'm not going to just drop him off. We're going to have a little conversation. That's right. You're a different dad. <laughs> yeah, apparently, I'm more as a much more chill dad. Very chill. Yeah. He goes back to Rushmore and gets attacked by Dirk and his cosplay costumey guy. And again. this proves my point. Okay. Dirk organizes them to go after Max. Dirk takes his followers from Max mm. and turns them on Max. See, I think the reason how he... did they know Max was going to show up? They how did they know Max? Because they know Max. Okay. As soon as he showed up. I thought up. they were just playing like a multiplayer MMOG, whatever that thing is, and uh, Max just happened to arrive. Nah. Well, how oh, are they wow. all positioned behind trees, then all of a sudden they turn around and start throwing rocks at him? Mm, I don't know. It's an organization, man. I, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. It never occurred to me, though. Mm. I mean, Jerk's a smart guy. Jerk is a smart guy. Yeah, Jerk, definitely a smart guy. I mean, look how he set all this shit in motion with yeah. one letter. And uh, uh, Dirk confronts him. Yes, he does. And this is a nice opportunity for Max to apologize and say that I was wrong and... He doesn't. He does not do that. No. He no. doubles down and says Magnus is lying. Yeah. And then it becomes a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's and then tough. he tries to run at Magnus, if I remember correctly. Oh, he does, yeah. Yeah, and then Magnus like knocks him out and he says, yeah. we, we did it. We did it. Yeah. Which is uh, a stupid attempt to connect to him. Well, he's trying desperately because he wants to be the hero of his yes. story. Yep. That's what he's doing. And, and yet he is definitely becoming the villain because the other thing he does while he's at Rushmore is attempt to blackmail Rosemary. Yeah, man. This is this is dirty pool. Yeah. I mean, so he destroyed Bloom's marriage. Yes. He tried to kill him, basically. Yeah. He's lied to his best friend about hand jobs with his mom. Right. And now he's going to blackmail the woman he loves to get her fired. Right. This is uh, really bad. It is bad. Yeah. And, and Guggenheim calls his ass out on yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, they have a little fight in the shadows. As if he's almost, as if he's, he's a student. This is this is one scene in the movie I don't actually like. You don't when they go yeah, at each the other? Yeah, the shadow kind of wrestling fight, that yeah. whole thing. You don't like it? No. I love the movie, but this Why'd is... Why'd you let her go? Yeah, it just, yeah. It's, over, it's over the top. It goes too far gotcha. for me. Okay. Uh, and then he goes to see Rosemary, who's packing up. Yeah. And she comes at him. 
Well, yes, and she lets him walk into the room. Yeah. But then he like tries to he do the victim to thing. And then he does. Like, right, they come close. And he tries to and kiss he her. And he, he grabs her. You yes, know, he like, does. In a very aggressive way. That's what I'm saying, And man. that's when she comes at him. I got kicked out because of you. No, you got kicked out. Rushmore was my life. Now you are. No, I'm not. What do you really think is going to happen between us? Do you think we're going to have sex? That's a kind of cheap way to put it. Not if you've ever fucked before, it isn't. Oh, my God. How would you describe it to your friends? Would you say that you'd fingered me? Or maybe I could give you a hand job. Would that put an end to all of this? Right, and I think this is the great pushback. Some people, some people yeah. say with her character that she, they don't let her stand on her own, or it's not. It's not no, when she throws Max into the boxes, yeah, that's her standing. And then when she embraces her womanhood, her adult womanhood, yeah. and comes at it full force with Max, Max is literally pissing in his pants. Because he's been living in the fantasy yes. world of being in love with of her. her. And right. when she confronts him, it's like, are we going to have sex? Do you mm. think you give... Again, she mentions hand jobs. Yes. And all of the reality of this thing, which he has no experience with. Right. Because he's only experienced with things from movies. Yeah. You know? And it freaks him out. I mean, like... Yeah. She, yeah. He says, like, don't... How can you say it? She, he, goes, I don't, he says something about, like, the way she says fucked. And she goes, you wouldn't say that if you ever have. Yeah. Right? He says, don't say it. Don't make it cheap. You make it sound cheap. And she goes, you wouldn't think that if you'd ever had, had sex, yeah. if you'd actually ever had sex. So, which, was, which is, once it's emasculating him. It's, oh, yeah. it's just brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, now we're sitting at mom's grave. Yeah. And we have a meeting. <laughs> and I love that the meeting starts off with, I was thinking about cutting down that tree and having it fall on you, but you know. And Murray respects it. Bloom yeah. respects it. That's a big tree. Would have, yeah. would have smashed me like a pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and there's no sense from Bill that this is a joke because no, no. he's already cut his tongue. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. and, and as you said, Bill kind of has enjoyed this. He loves this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, then, and then he has just a lovely line, which is... She's my Rushmore, Max. Yeah, I know. She was mine, too. And this goes back to find the thing you love and pursue it. And I love going to Rushmore. Mm. And that this whole idea has kind of come together in this scene. And this is... This is the moment we just had our darkest moment with getting knocked out by Magnus and getting really destroyed by Rosemary. Yeah. And now we're having the moment he's sitting in his mom's grave. And this is the beginning of the turnaround. Yes. Um, we're not quite there yet. But this speaks to your theory from earlier, Steve. The power. What is this power that his mom has? Yeah. Right. What is it? He, this is the place he goes to at his most darkest. It is mm-hmm. his mom's grave. Yep. What is he missing? What yep. is not there that he that she is you know she was you know well and it's like he's this kid that's that's why I go back to the with great power comes great yeah. responsibility he's yeah. blessed with the ability to make a lot of shit happen yes it's not working out for him very well right and it's not working out for anybody very well he walks away and what happens at the end of the scene that tree falls down <laughs> yeah, that's so great <laughs> that's really good um, Max has a new outfit yes he's wearing a parka and a hat. He only has actually three outfits in the whole movie. Mm. He's finally shed the Rushmore blazer. And we're in a pretty dark place. He's yeah. going to cut some hair with dad. and He's uh, given up. He's, he's given up. Yeah. He's, he's accepted he's going to be a working stiff for the rest of his yeah. life. And all his dreams of this uh, incredible avant-garde life yeah. of accomplishment and prestige all going away. is all gone. Yeah. Margaret tries to visit her. Not very nice to her. No. Just ignore And looks at her through the window and doesn't yeah. speak to her. Pretty rough. But he enjoys the curtains in her face. He's working with dad. 
And Dad's kind of trying to encourage him. He says, Pipe dreams, Dad. I'm a barber, son. Damn. That is not cool. That is horrible. No, exactly. That's horrible. But, you know, the thing is, he's 15, right? We, yeah. We said some terrible shit when we were 15. I mean, my, my sister and my mother, the fights that they would get into when my sister was 13, 14 years old, brother, melt the paint off the walls, the shit they would yeah. say to each other. It, it drove me insane to be in the house to listen to because I would want to run up and defend my mother to my sister. And it, you, they would both yell at me when I would try to get involved because it's like between them. And so this, this, it's an understanding that pe- older people have. And maybe you'll have this with Jax at, when he's 15. He maybe I'm sure he's going to say something. I'm having to have some understanding now. <laughs> There we go. So, like, I'm sure at 15, when he's got full and starting to embrace his yeah. manhood to, at a small degree. He's got that testosterone yeah, going exactly. around. So he'll say some shit, and you'll be like, oh, I, gotta not, I, can I can't re- punch him in the mouth. I can remember some stuff that I said that mm. wasn't at the max level, but but still like, like oh, oh, so arrogant and disrespectful. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but Dad's cool with it. He's like, okay, well, I'll see you at dinner. Because yeah, Dad's chill. Yeah. And uh, there's Dirk waiting outside. Yeah. And Dirk apologizes first. Mm-hmm. Dirk's a good guy. That's what I'm telling you. I'm not arguing that Dirk's not a great guy. He's going to be a CEO. I don't think good guys always end up as CEOs. No, that's my problem. But he's a good guy with the ability to go dark if he needs to. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair point. Yes. Gives him a present of this uh, Swiss oh, Army knife. Really sweet. Yeah. And uh, and that's the big, thick one, too. Like yeah. That was the one that was really cool. <laughs> I don't know that kids today actually care about Swiss Army knives, but when I was a kid, yeah. you wanted a cool Swiss Army knife. Yes, that was did. Do some whittling. That's right. Um, <laughs> finds out that Guggenheim has a stroke. He goes to visit Guggenheim. This scene's really funny. <laughs> I love that he had the stroke. <laughs> uh, and I got to tell you... I, as a teacher, yeah. there are some students that wear you down. <laughs> <laughs> There's, and I can understand, like, if a certain student came up to my bed when I had the stroke, then I would go, it's Max. Fisher. Fisher. What do you want? What do you want? I love what he says, what do you want? <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Um, um, and uh, and it gets in the airport and it gets in the airport. It gets in the elevator and there's there's Bill Murray. Yeah. He does not look well. No. No, he is uh, a little worse for wear. He's got a shiner. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's been drinking. Uh, he's doing an old binge. He's been binge drinking. Yeah. Who gave you that shiner? Ronnie or Donnie? I, I can't tell which. <laughs> I can't tell anymore. And again, we go to like, I don't think he's much of a dad. I don't know why he got that shiner, but but he's been, I mean, when you have a can of beer in your or can of Diet Coke in your pocket and you're pouring booze into it and hiding booze, it's like, this guy's he's in a dark place. Yeah. He's not in a good place. Yeah. Nor should he be. He's lost his friend. Yeah. He's lost his wife. Yep. And he's lost uh, he's, the woman he cares about. Yeah. Yeah. And Max asks, how is she? And he says, I really wouldn't know. Why not? I haven't seen her in six weeks. She left? She's in love with a dead guy anyway. And this is a key moment. Again, we go to this mm-hmm. Edward Appleby. He's mm-hmm. a very important figure. So Max, Max realizes that she uh, might be available. Yeah. See, and this is where the turnaround... To me, hits a snag. No, this is a this is a step backwards. Right. Uh, he climbs up this uh, ladder in the rain. Son of a bitch. Goes in, says, "I've been in a terrible car accident." Oh my god! And he's got fake blood on his. And we all know this is fake. Like yes. nobody believes. Yeah. Like why are you on a ladder? Like why? Right. You get in a car accident, you're gonna climb up a ladder. And why does Rosemary let him in? Well, and then he gets lies down on the bed, immediately puts some romantic music oh my on. God, doesn't she notice the fucking romantic? Music? Exactly. Exactly. And but this is the thing too. When she's comforting him, mm-hmm. she, she likes him. She does. And we see we're in this room, and this is the childhood room of Edward Appleby. Yeah. We go. Who is this person 
that fell in love with this guy. She's from England. Yeah. This isn't her world. And the guy dies, and she returns to his to live in his childhood world. Literally his bedroom. That is weird. Right? The plane's still hanging, the model airplanes. Yeah. The uh, the bed sheets, the covers are still the same as what a 13-year-old boy would have, you know? This is her process, right? She's in this process of grieving and letting him go. And I think they have, this is where they have the exchange. Um, a, he's married. B, he hates himself. And C, well, he smashed up your bicycle, didn't he? My previous bicycle, yes. Well, what sort of person does something like that? I don't know. War does funny things to men. He thinks you dumped him because of Edward Appleby. What does that mean? Well, I mean, you live in his room. With all his stuff, it's kind of... I was married to him. I know you were. Although I will say that Edward has more spark and character and imagination in one fingernail than Herman Bloom has in his entire body. And then Max very interestingly and somewhat intelligently says, dead fingernail. Yeah. And gets her to confront the fact that she has to move on with her life. Yeah. That he is dead and she can't keep living in his uh, shadow, his ghost, with his ghost uh, over her in her life, you know? And even though it's done amidst this desperately stupid attempt to get her back, and they do, he does try to, he does kiss her again when yeah. she when they're on the bed, right? So you're right, Steve. She does have an attraction to him, uh, but it doesn't seem dirty or unwarranted like what we hear coming out of nowadays. He's places in florida or whatever <laughs> when these teachers yeah. are sleeping with these kids these kids are this is something else right these are two lost people yep. kind of trying to figure themselves out with blue they're all lost trying to figure out their place in the world again well i think i think max from the beginning actually did know the secret yeah but he also is living in a world of kind of fantasy and fakery no consequence yeah and yep. like he has to is that what he has to learn is that of the reality of the world and yeah. other people's feelings and what is and isn't realistic yeah. and what herman bloom and rosemary cross have to learn is to find what they love and do it not yeah. live in the past not live in a false fantasy of their own reality yeah. they have to actually live mm-hmm. and what we're going to see next is that max well flying a kite and looking at a little model airplane, he's going to start living again. Because yeah. we're out. He's flying a kite. He's with Dirk. Mm-hmm. Margaret Yang comes up, lands a little prop plane. And Max takes the flight, takes the uh, string, this blue string for the kite. And suddenly he starts moving with it. Mm. And suddenly you see that spark. And he says, Take dictation, please. Possible candidates for kite flying society. And Dirk's excitement. Yeah, and uh, yeah, at being back in that position. But also, we have the interaction between him and Margaret Yang where she calls him out. She says, yeah. you were not very nice to me. Yep. And he, it was, he apologizes, yeah. and he says, you know, it just wasn't a good time. But she is willing to understand him and forgive him. Yep. And that's the power, because that's the real relationship, him and Margaret. Right, absolutely. Right? That's and where he's supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. And she comes after him. We're back at the barbershop. <laughs> Bill shows up, because yes. Max Offley asked, asked him to meet him. I, this scene is so amazing to me. And he, 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 Bill comes up and he pulls out these two little pins and he says, Devil 
Wednesday. That's the perfect attendance award and the punctuality award. I got those at Rushmore. I thought you could choose which one you liked more and you could wear that one and I could wear the other. And Bill says, I'll take punctuality. He's so touched by the gesture because I have a feeling Bill's never ha or Bloom's never had a best friend. I have a feeling he's uh, yeah. never had a best friend. And this is the first time he's had a best friend. And he's so emotionally regressed that it's a 15-year-old kid like this. But I think it's the scene is so symbolic because mm -hmm. both Max and Bill... These guys tried to kill each other. Yeah, they did. Both what? Max and Bill both understand that this pin, punctuality or perfect attendance, represents forgiveness yes, dude. and love Listen. and affection. <laughs> and they go... I'll take punctuality. This is what men do. Oh, I, I totally agree. This is what men do. Yeah. This is sometimes, you know, and, I, and I've heard this, women sometimes hate us for our ability to do that. Some women sometimes hate us for our ability to do We We can fight each other like crazy, and then we'll be like, all right, we're cool. We're cool. Yeah. Yeah. My best friend, Maurice, we met fighting on a basketball court. He threw a basketball at me from behind because I tried to push him out of bounds. Mm. And so we almost got into it that day. And then from that, somehow that we built this incredible friendship and we're best friends ever since. But it's funny how that, men do that kind of shit. So it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and symbols are useful. Yes. I mean, they're both useful in life and they're also definitely useful in filmmaking. Because yeah, yeah. you don't want them to have a whole conversation. I'm really sorry when I put no, the bees in there. Fuck that. No. I'll take punctuality and we know we're good. But I liked his reaction when he yeah. says punctuality. He's so touched. Yes. Right? Absolutely. You can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he does to, to solidify the friendship. Yeah. Come meet my dad. That's such, like I said earlier in the podcast, such a beautiful acting moment by Bill Moore. You see his face understand that Max was lying about, and he almost, he like forgives him because he understands what it's like to be ashamed of being poor. Yep. yep. And it's all in his face. It's all in his face. It's all so in the reaction. Great. And and Bert, uh, uh, his yep. dad, he treats, um, he treats Herman so gently. Yeah, he really does. Because he knows this is a person who's in pain. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to take good care of you. And, and at this moment in his life, he needs to be taken care of. Right. He needs some love and affection in a gentle, simple way. The true hero of this movie is uh, Max Fisher's dad. Well, he's awesome. He's I, yeah. the true hero. Well, he's the only person. I, I'm, I'm kind of processing that. But he's certainly the only person that I can't say anything negative about. Yeah. He's an entirely positive figure. Yeah. The, the Bill Murray that walks out of that barbershop is completely different from the guy that walks in. Right. It's like it's like fifty pounds have been taken off his shoulders. He just wanted love and affection. He yeah. wanted to be accepted. That's right. And they has it right. now. He can work out and do this montage. We're going to go to a training <laughs> montage yeah. to Oyoko. Out of nowhere. Out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and we're still planning to get Rosemary. Yeah. And our technique for getting her <laughs> remains the aquarium, <laughs> which shows that both of them are still children. Yes. Like this is your plan. Yeah. And again, we're going to do it. And again, she doesn't show. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment where, where he says, okay, that's it. I give up. Yeah. I paid $8 million for this. And Max says, "Is that?" and that's all you're willing to give? Wow. Which is awesome and stupid. It is <laughs> a great line in the movie, though. It's a great line in the movie. Yeah. It's like, maybe you should give something she actually wants. <laughs> like, pay attention to her a little bit. But okay. Because uh, Rosemary, when Max goes to visit her, says, I never asked anyone to build me an aquarium. Yeah. I don't know how that rumor got started. <laughs> Um, and, and, and then, and then Max is now fully on the team on team bloom. Yeah. That, so he has grown, he has found mm -hmm. some compassion. He mm -hmm. has found some like, Oh, this is not about me. Yeah. Um, but that's, what's so great about the movie, Steve. It's not a conventional turnaround, right? It's still fraught with his 
frailties as a human being, his flaws as a human being. Max is still Max. He's still yeah. Max. But he understands now that these two people, he deserve to be with each other and that he can facilitate their union. Well, he's now going to use his powers for good. Yes. He's still going to be arrogant and complicated and demanding and, and lie unrealistic to them. and lie and to them. trick them, yes. And trick them, but he's hopefully using his powers for good. Yeah. And he's even going to go get his arch nemesis, Magnus, <laughs> and get him to be in the play. I love the moment. I always wanted to be. You do. You can say it better. I always wanted to be in one of your fucking plays. I know you did, mate. I know you did. <laughs> and even the use of mate yeah. is really smart. Yeah. Uh, time for time for another uh, play from the Max Fisher players. Oh, so awesome, dude! It's literally epic. Yeah. What's it called? Between heaven and hell, or whatever. Yeah. yeah it's so fantastic. Uh, be sure I've I've left uh, safety goggles and earplugs <laughs> under the seat. <laughs> use them at your discretion. <laughs> I think wasn't this an Oliver Stone movie too? Between There's Heaven, Heaven and, and Hell, Hell is the is Heaven the and Hell Stone. is the, okay, yeah. okay. So yeah, which yeah. is not that not one of the great Oliver Stones. No, 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 yeah, no. yeah. But it's essentially kind of similar. Yeah, thing. and we have just explosions. It's so great. Flamethrowers and machine guns, and I love the moment that where everyone pulls out the oh, I better put on these yeah, safety yeah. goggles and. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's an awesome crazy. play. I would love to watch. Oh, of course, right? Well, what they, what Wes Anderson said was they kind of got, they went crazy. I mean, they got sure. more involved in way making that play <laughs> than they did in actually making the movie. Right. And by the way, when they do this long tracking shot, this long uh, uh, dolly down the the audience, yeah, everyone in the movie is there. Yeah, we got Mister Little Jeans, we got the coach, we got yep. the two cops that arrested him. Yes, like we got Dad, we got literally everybody. Guggenheim, oh, yeah, Guggenheim's there. The- Luke Wilson <laughs> is there. Everybody is there. Yeah, and it's like everything's now coming together right it's intermission at the play and there's this lovely little moment with rosemary and herman yeah outside and he's very contained mm-hmm. but put together and she runs her fingers through his hair that's such a great moment dude yeah mm-hmm. so what do you think of max's latest opus it's good but let's hope it it's got a happy ending it's beautiful. And you go, oh, mm-hmm. okay. It's a moment of care. Yeah. We finish the play with uh, Margaret Yang and um, and Max and their I love you, we're, let's get married moment before there's huge explosions. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, so great. And then after, we cut to the after party. Esposito. I like the way he says <laughs> Esposito. <laughs> um, and apparently Max has even designed the after party. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, and the first shot in the after party is a, is a, is a centerfold, yes. a naked centerfold. A couple of them, yeah. And this is just a big point because <laughs> that centerfold is largely why this has an R rating. Oh, really? Yeah. And Wes wouldn't compromise. <sighs> he was like, well, it has to be in it. Damn. Yeah. And you Damn. look at me, it's like, you know, because this is a big deal in terms yeah, of how of much money a movie is. can make. Yeah. And he was like, well, it has to be there because that's what Max would do. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But it's great because it's, it's a thing I recognize, too. That's what's so great about the movie. There are so many uh, things that I recognize as a kid growing up through high school and whatever that I see in the movie. That seeing your first centerfold, like those three kids that are standing, just like staring at it, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Right. Just marveling at a woman's naked adult body. It's well, when, so when you were and I were young, it was hard to find that. Yeah, it was, which is why it's yeah. so great to see that moment because I'm like, that's exactly what I did the first time. Today, I saw it. I'm sure, like, you oh, know, it's sure. hard not to find. Of it. course, of course. Yeah, um, these uh, kids today. Yeah, yeah, with their internets <laughs> and the hand jobs, <laughs> their internets and their hand jobs. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, he introduces his dad, mm-hmm. who's a barber. Again, Again. growth. Yes, he's, he's he's no longer embarrassed. Yep, um, and. Uh, 
uh, Luke Wilson said, I heard you were a neurosurgeon. It's like, no, but some people get those confused. <laughs> yeah, a um, lot of people make that mistake. Let's have a final dance. And um, Herman wants to ask Margaret Yang to dance, and she's not having any of it. I love that. She says, go find your own dance partner. I'm yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. But then Max says, no, I trust him. He's my friend. Mm -hmm. Again, we've grown. And then he has his last moment with Rosemary. Yeah. Well, he pulled it off. Mm. Yeah, it went okay. At least nobody got hurt. Except you. And they have the final dance together. Right. And in beautiful slow-mo. Again. Yeah. Great use of slow-mo. Great, great use of slow-mo. Uh, we haven't mentioned this at all through the entire podcast, but his ability to use curtains. Oh, yeah. It's a great point. To convey different acts of the, mm -hmm. of the, of the film. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, and it's also, I think, telling you that we're not taking this entire... This is not entirely realistic. Right. This is theatrical. Yes. This whole story is theatrical. Right. And then the curtain's closed. Yeah. And we've reached the end of our film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John, what are your final thoughts? Oh, man. I, this is what I say. This is one of those rare films that comes along that really awakens you to the power of a new director. Right? All of us who love directors or auteurs... We can name that one film that we saw. We're like, oh, yeah, this is a whole new uh, voice in the film medium. Quentin Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs, sure. I think, is one of those. And so you have these films that come out and you get even bad boys for Michael Bay for a lesser, lesser situation. You you're no, you haven't seen an action film quite like this. Right. So you have these different directors that come out. And Wes Anderson, when he comes out with this announces himself as almost a top of the pyramid of the independent film movement. And he's able to cross over, just like the Coens are able to cross over. But he never sacrifices uh, his voice in any of his films that he's done since. But this is where you start to see the possibilities of what you can do uh, with, of what Wes Anderson can do with the medium of film. From the music, to the acting, to the set design, to the costuming, to everything. It's all meant to make you feel warm inside, and yet get you to see the emotional stuff and complexities that are there in human beings, whether they're in person or claymation like we see in Fantastic Mr. Right. Fox. He just does incredible work, and I think in this movie is the beginning of falling in love with Wes Anderson, if you love Wes Anderson movies. Um, first of all, that was great. Uh, and I, I totally, I couldn't agree more about him as, you know, this new auteur and the mm. joy of just seeing this voice that is so clear and so unique. Yeah. Um, for me, I kind of go, I, I look at this in sort of two ways. Because on the one hand, as like a person who studies film and thinks about filmmaking, yeah. looking at Wes Anderson in terms of the way he composes his shots and the way he controls color and imagery within the frame. Absolutely. There's just nobody better. And I, and you could go through, there's a great thing to go look at, do a Google search for color control Wes Anderson. And you will see the palettes he uses for each movie and how every piece of fabric, mm. this is just the beginning, but as you go on more and more, every piece of fabric is within a certain color palette. It's amazing. Yeah. And so like I can sit back unemotionally and just observe, oh, here's how he's using the rule of thirds and this is where he's putting the horizon and this is how the framing is working. Right. And it's amazing. And then I can close my eyes and not worry about any of that stuff and listen to these characters and there is nobody like these people, these are these fascinating, funny, quirky, emotional, touching people. And this relationship between Max and Bloom, which is really the love story of the movie to yes, me, by the way, true. is so 
profound and the way that they heal each other and help each other and help each of them come of age yeah. in this film is really, really lovely. Agreed. Yeah. So that's what we think about Rushmore. Of course, we'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Subscribe to us on Stitcher, on YouTube, on iTunes. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Yeah. If you're on iTunes, leave a review. And if you really like the show, we'd love your support. You can go to patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. We have a lot of nice offers there. We communicate with you regularly there. We do uh, special little audio clips for you. You can even maybe pick a movie that we review sometime by just visiting patreon.com slash the cinephiles if you want to reach me you can always do reach me at sr morris on twitter john where can you reach me uh all right you guys can always find me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a-s-a-y-s on twitter and on instagram uh every friday at 10 a.m on collider movie talk I'll, I'll probably be doing more stuff on collider soon and of course every thursday morning a new episode of the outlaw nation podcast drops on the sk plus podcast channel that's the schmoes no podcast channel and if you haven't already you've got to check out outlaw nation it is a great show oh thanks man. all sorts of stuff from john great Great, great interviews. Definitely worth worth your time. Check it out now. Thanks, man. All right, that's it for this week. We will see you next time on the Cinephiles. <laughs>